Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined by the incomparable, one of a kind, the never-ending, the elusive, Aaron Hunt. Oh, I think the the never-ending is what I really hope for. Yeah. <laughs> I love the like adjective discovery game that I usually play and never ending is one I keep I keep finding myself coming back to because well you always start with incomparable um and then never yeah never ending is a new edition yeah I like it Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's a it's I'm always imagining fun to... one of those magic scarves, <laughs> right? <laughs> just like and Aaron, he just keeps going and going. <laughs> yeah, I like it. All the colors. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'm really glad to have you on and talk with you. I've been wanting to for a while. Um, because you know you uh, when I first moved to Chicago, I moved here for uh to go to Roosevelt, and so I did that whole dealy and was writing a lot. Um, and so the two years that I was there, I was writing for the school paper. And at the same time, that was during one of your uh, major swings of writing stuff for New City. Um, and so it was super interesting to kind of like follow along with, you know, basically, basically the only arts journalism that's ha- that was happening for opera at the time in Chicago. I don't know. I mean, maybe you have a better idea than I do of like as far as because like you look at it now and it's like opera box score exists, which is like a radio show covering opera nationally and a little bit here. And then Math and Black's podcast, like we talk a little bit about opera, too. Like there is so much more going on. And of course, still your continued work with New City. Um, Yeah. And so it's super interesting to kind of think about that as a space of of folks that are starting to think about looking at the trends of opera making in Chicago um, and pair that with uh, you know something that I've done uh, work with you before on as a recording engineer uh, is your work with transgressive theater opera um, which is you were in the you, it's been like four years now this is the fourth season yes yeah and you're coming up on your first performance of the fourth season, right? Yes. Uh, the title of which is... A Gilbert and Sullivan Jewelry Box. Yeah, so... Um, sorry, so I've prefaced now with a lot of different stuff. But, um, you know, I'm kind of curious about, uh, for you, going into this fourth season, um, what does this moment mean for you and, and your work? I am looking very seriously at my audience base. Yeah. I have really focused on contemporary works uh, up until now, which I felt answered our mission statement, which is to, A, have pieces that are as spoken as they are sung. And I've always been able to mount something that's contemporary music, but at least some of the scenes and sometimes the most important apocryphal scene is suddenly spoken, mm-hmm. which I think it's interesting. A lot of contemporary composers actually do that. And another reason that that belongs in the mission statement is that I am interested in the way that lyric theater is becoming just a larger statement in the arts world. Mm-hmm. as lines begin to blur between opera and operetta and musical theater, and as people begin to cross over, performers begin to get cross from one of those 
uh, realms to another, as do directors, as do designers, as do choreographers. As that starts to blend, and if we're going to sing and we're going to talk in the same place, is Sweeney Todd this or is Sweeney Todd that, then how do we address that and who do we bring to the table? So I was very um, specific in looking to cast a opera singers who I knew had the chops to act, mm-hmm. who really could act in a contemporary, connected uh, sort of mm, what's the right word here in Chicago? We like gritty. We mm. like that. We like gritty and real, which is a little <laughs> far sometimes for opera. You have to guard the voice, but to be able to actually give that sort of honest, upfront performance, which is another reason why I've been working in very small found spaces very much in the storefront idiom yeah because i uh i wanted the audience to be close enough that those those real theatrical moments weren't what might have to be big enough to be seen and understood in that huge thing called the lyric opera of chicago beautiful place huge so how do you actually you know send that to the balcony and have it be connective so small found spaces singers who can really bring it out some of them do up a lot of them do operetta so it's not as if they don't talk on stage some of them do straight theater but i also know because i perform so long in this city that there are classically trained opera singers in this city who are not known to sing at all and or known to just sing music theater or sometimes be belters Mm. And people don't know that they're highly trained. And in Chicago, I suppose this isn't the sort of thing you say, but in Chicago, if you're an opera singer, you take it off your resume because then your voice isn't real. Mm. It isn't gritty. So you don't put that classical training. You put voice training. I had so much voice and I studied with this person. But if you've got a couple of operettas and you're going to audition for the Goodman, that is not on your resume. Mm -hmm. So being able to pull those people in with the people who are more known as opera singers, everybody's game gets kicked up because the people who are really immersed in singing opera find themselves in a world that's immediately being created by these people who are accustomed to being immersed in a different theatrical milieu. Mm. And then what I have most of the time, I mean, you win some and you lose some, mm-hmm. and, and that's what it is. That's that's the artistic world. It's operas. Operas a crapshoot, mm-hmm. and that's what's wonderful about it. Usually, it's either fantastic. I mean, the feast of the day. If it's not the feast of the day, it's a cracker that somebody just stepped on on the floor. So it's <laughs> it's pretty much one or the other. But when it works, I really feel like it's very accessible to an audience. Given that, over the last three seasons, attendance has been fantastic. All ten people loved it. (laughs) All ten, That's the thing is you build a sustainable thing when you think about it that way, though. Because, like, what? The piccolo, which I know you love, that seats what, like? 50 if if you're generous with the seating. Depending on how much space you want, since it's a black box. Mm -hmm. But uh, then, to look at some of the things that the other storefront opera companies are doing in town, trying to look at their, um, their structure and then trying to decide how I can bring a different or more fulsome 
audience in to see everything that we do by combining it with some more um, mainstream uh, pieces that we can still do in a transgressive way right. that we can look at them in a new way because if we're going to do do cozy and we're going to do it traditionally well the lyrics doing it the next week after we open yeah. so there it is if we can't give something that's very different with that cozy that then still matches uh, our mission statement then then we're not playing our game yeah we're not in the game uh so that makes this season different. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting out with Gilbert and Sullivan. I have a huge background in Gilbert and Sullivan myself. Uh, I love the music. I'm bringing a lot of music that people have never heard. The people, uh, music from a couple of the pieces that are virtually never done because they're so convoluted and so over, overwritten mm-hmm. that they're almost impossible to cast and stage along with a one-act piece that's actually going to be fully staged. The other piece will be a concert version that'll be fully staged, written for three men with three women. It's a very misogynistic piece, the way the men speak about women. I'm very interested, already getting some shivers in rehearsal as the women in male drag express these emotions that the men think nothing of. That's super interesting. So, yeah, that's something that we think about a lot with things that we've seen is um, with things that are cross-dressed and things that are maybe not even necessarily cross-dressed, but things that are the concept of it's this, but, you know, with uh, older folks or with, uh, you know... Or any sort of gender-bending, yeah. Um, The idea of... Do you adapt the score? Do you adapt the script? And if you don't, why aren't you? And if you do, why are you? And all those kinds of things. And I think that's a super... The the fact that they are in drag is a really nice and interesting and probably very powerful touch. Well, my my experience with, with gender bending was a couple summers ago, I was in a gender bent production of Damn Yankees, which... Going into it, I didn't know anything about the concept other than I was playing Mr. Welch. And so I was like, you know, should I be learning this? Should I be learning these lines as if I'm talking to women? Or should I be learning these lines like using him? Like if I'm referring to this baseball player, am I calling this baseball player him? Or And they ended up keeping all of the pronouns so all of the women were playing men which like i think what and i i want your thought on this aaron in in my opinion i think that if you're gender bending and you're keeping the gen the written genders i think that it kind of has to be for a reason like it like there has to be a reason that you're maintaining that the facade of these women actually being men because otherwise like in in this case it was just like on top of like on top of like you know romantic moments or whatever it was just like you know the fact that like Lola had a beard you know what I mean but in in my mind it was kind of a distraction and it and also it was a weird piece to choose to be gender bent 
I'm wondering what your opinion on like on like the the virtues and um and like purpose and what you can accomplish with gender bending. I think first of all, this is a very um, pertinent discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, gender, who who gets which pronoun? Mm-hmm. What is a, is a can a pronoun be offensive? Mm. Can you say she's good at her job, and is that automatically prejudicial because it's a she? And that does that say it's a she? See, I'm having trouble myself. Well, you you mentioned that uh, you posted about that. I saw. Yes, it's it's very interesting. First of all, we need to really pay attention to people's names mm-hmm. and allow people to be how they label themselves. That's how people should be labeled. So this is a very, I think, pertinent discussion. It's one of the reasons why I think it works for transgressive. I just reviewed uh, the the Taming of the Shrew at Chicago Shakes. Mm. People think Chicago Shakes can't. And, and and nobody can produce Taming of the Shrew anymore because it's such a horrible statement on misogyny mm. and it ends with the woman acquiescing and that's how the play ends supposedly happily. Well, we don't want to see that anymore. A lot of people will say that it can't be done. Well, brilliant stuff that they did. They brought in another writer and they did a play within a play within a woman's club at a time when they were fighting um, so many battles this particular battle was um, their right to vote and initially even the women didn't agree that they should all have a right to vote because they were so entrenched in their husband's concept of their place in society and how it affected the way that their marriage would work Meanwhile, they're they're learning these scenes, and they're and slowly oh. they're building, you know, the the few the few women who start out saying this is wrong, and I'm campaigning against it. I want the legislation that says I can vote, and little things happen within the script where there are moments where these kinds of power situations are on the floor. They're reading the lines, and they're reading them in such a, a way that you can see the light bulb. Mm. And they start to get it. It's like, oh, oh, I'm living this man right now. I'm in this man's shoes and I'm doing or saying this to this woman. Mm. Is this okay? No. But now I, I can really see his perspective. He's, he is, he doesn't, he's no different. He doesn't deserve this kind of agency. Mm. And by the end of the play, they were all on board. They had all decided, yes, indeed, we're going to go ahead and vote for the woman's right to vote. And we're going to insist on it. We're going to, we're going to protest. And it did go through. But then they had to finish the play. So this horribly difficult monologue that the woman has to give that says, um, I'm ashamed that I'm so simple. All right. Uh, interesting very interesting i thought way to go about it she did it beautifully classically Mm. as if she meant it from her heart but the women watching her in a semicircle slowly fell apart so you can see it truly registering with them that that's who they were that's who they had been 
It was a beautiful way to do the play and make it work. So what I have now, this is a very typical, it, it's, it's a trope mm-hmm. of Cox and Box where I'm using three women in male drag. It's a trope. Somebody has an apartment. They figure out that they've got two renters who have completely different schedules. And there's no reason why as long as they move things around so that neither of them figure out uh, that they're renting half an apartment. That person's rent can be doubled. So it's, you know, the apartment, it's promises, promises. This trope is used again and again. The, the, one of the things that makes this particular reading different is that Two of the men have been and perhaps are, depending on how you look at it legally, engaged to the same woman, Mm. neither of which they've decided they want, quote unquote, because she's not good enough for them. In fact, they hate her. She has a lot of money, though. So she was helpful, if you (laughs) want to call it that. But now they want nothing to do with her because she's just she's this and she's that and the other thing. None of which are things that matter. They're not able to say, well, she's overbearing or she's horrible or I don't like the way she treats children. None of that. I just don't like her. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to see how that starts to read in rehearsal. Yeah. And I'm not telling these performers how I want that registered because I think their discovery is, because there's no third wall in the piece. We're doing it clown, we're doing it mime. I mean, we're doing it practically circus. So they're in the house, all this, there's no subterfuge. Mm. You know, it's just, we're fun, we're wearing mustaches. Yeah. We gotta tell this story, but we're wearing mustaches. So that gives them that funny fine line of, how real am I gonna play this? If I say this, can I be in character, but will it still affect me right here in my soul? And if it does, what does that tell the audience? If that tells the audience that I can say it and I'm a pro, but you can still feel the energy of this isn't okay. And if that hits the audience, then they've got a lesson that's a fresh lesson. Mm It's from a completely different perspective because they're seeing that person living in that moment not be okay underneath. So that's why I think this is a very interesting thing to do right now. I think it's current. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I definitely think it it hits transgressives. You know, this is what we've got to do if we're going to do something new. And I think that's an interesting way to go to combine some things that I know about and still give them... You still answer the company, and we're also it's also a co-production with the Gilbert and Sullivan uh, Opera Company in Hyde Park. Cool. And that helps. You know, that definitely makes, frankly, a financial difference. <laughs> it allows the the production to be of a higher level, just in terms of you know, costumes and, and that sort of thing. Um, Are the performances down in Hyde Park? One. There's one in, in Hyde Park and three on the north side. Cool. Uh, there's a there's a desire for the the group in Hyde Park and very accomplished. They've come a very long way. They have an incredible history, more than 50 years. Um, They are looking to build an audience outside of Hyde Park. Mm -hmm. So they would like to have a presence in the city. Yeah, That also gives Transgressive the potential of buying into some of their audience. Can we have a cross pollination? That's the hope, right? I mean, there's no reason for that to not. Be. Are there a bunch of like rabid 
Gilbert and Sullivan fans just like in Hyde Park? Yes, there are. That's so cool to me. I don't yeah. I don't know why. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's something that's been going on for so long that it um it it's uh, it's embedded in the university's culture. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And so it's something that gets passed along. There there's someone who's interested in in the uh history department and they're saying oh go go with me and this will be this is always amusing let's make a weekend of it but there are also people who travel from all over the city to see those performances because light opera works is no longer doing um really doing gilbert and sullivan so those are evanston people who have nothing to do and there are no way to see that that particular genre Mm -hmm. and there are people in the city who would travel that far, but if they didn't have to, mm-hmm. it's entirely possible that if they could see something that was fresh, but still looking at their rep, mm-hmm. they would then come to see that in, in Chicago. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm looking for, I'm looking for ways in which there can be cross-pollination so that with the storefront opera com- company boom, which we are having right now, which is fabulous, so that we are able to maximize our audience potential. That's so hugely important, and I and it's something that we've come across in our in our little artistic like searching for an audience niche of podcasting, where we're wondering like what our audience is and who we're trying to reach and who we could be reaching and who we could be collaborating with, and we're we're finding that the you know the 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 nature of this project that we're doing is that we need a third person in the room you know like when it's just us talking you know it's it's us like doing like housekeeping things talking about things upcoming that we're producing stuff like that um but ultimately we're it's us kind of treading water and the only way that we can move forward is through collaboration and so it's been really cool to see you know, all these different projects and all these different partnerships that are forming, you know, in the city because, you know, everyone's everyone's trying to get butts in seats. I, I think people are getting smarter about it and, and more and healthier, like self, self-healthier about it. Well, and to, to the idea of what you were talking about with... Um the idea of transgressive and uh, Gilbert and Sullivan Society collaborating. Something that we felt when we first started what we were doing is like, well, we're opera folks making a podcast. And so we're all there. When we first started, we were always going to be battling the idea of we are just another podcast of opera folks starting a podcast. But for us, we really wanted to expand the boundaries of what it is that we were doing. And we realized that, um, trying to build this kind of more in-depth but still general arts space that we were interested in doing of reaching out to different art forms and reaching out to different genres, you realize that even the folks that are doing things that are very similar are still very much occupying different spaces. And I think that at some point we have to, as arts folks in this community that we're trying to build in Chicago, we all have to look at it and realize that like, the company that is existing mostly in Rogers Park and the company that is existing mostly 
in like let's say uptown or something like that even though those neighborhoods are close even if their missions and i'm not thinking of specific companies right now there's no like subtext to that i'm just re- naming random stuff oh, but like dripping with subtext yeah. Daniel. don't kid yourself yeah but my po- <laughs> the point being is that like things that when you look at them superficially and you go like well this is this company's mission statement and this is that company's mission statement but it's like have you paid attention to their season have you paid attention to what they're actually doing have you paid attention to what their, what the work that they're doing actually entails and the way that they do it? You start recognizing that, even though a company may a company's season may uh, happen the same weekend as another company's, and their their, uh, you know, ideas are similar, um, there is still very much a need for both. Like it's not at some point we have to stop thinking about it like we have to be in competition with everyone we meet and we have to start thinking about like how can we occupy space together in a way that that the audiences are happy the administrators are happy performers are happy mm-hmm. it's super interesting for me to think about that and it's super uh you know thrilling to hear about companies that are also thinking about it that way so you know i all of this is not a question (laughs) and to (laughs) and just to basically say i have like super applaud you for that um could you do me a favor daniel and plug my headphones back in they got unplugged oh that's what for sure sorry i didn't know what happened there i noticed that you took them off yeah it's okay This has been super fun. So we're super, usually super tangential show, but this has been really good. Um, how's your day been? My day. That's that's interesting. My day. I, I'm so busy right now with the production side of things that um, I often don't, my head is spinning most of the day. Yeah. Right now, I'm also working on Cozy. Right. Because that's up in February. Mm-hmm. So a section of today was um, acquiring rehearsal space mm-hmm. and looking at rehearsal times and sending that to our musical director, Sarah Jenks. Can you look at these dates? So that then I can send them to performers and say, all right, how many of these dates can you get to rehearsal mm-hmm. so that I believe that I can have two casts prepared for co- can I can I mount cozy for two casts in 14 rehearsals and two dresses can mm-hmm. I you know and so that was a whole hunk of my day another piece of my day was sending an invite through Facebook for the actual performances now, I saw that yeah uh, I did get that cool yeah oh, so it happened that's yeah. wonderful. You yeah. see, this is not my thing <laughs> at all. I mean, well, yeah. so just the trying to do it and trying to make it work, it was not just something that I could tap, tap, tap and have it work. In fact, it blew up on me twice, uh, once with great vigor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I had to ask around and say, did you get this? And what did it look like? And then I emailed the cast because this is what we do now. We all kick in so we have an audience. I mean, right. this is part of it. So saying, here this is, here's the link. Please invite your friends, invite everybody. Here's the link to the tickets, just so that you know, this. just so you've got it again. And so it's you're looking at it right here. Paste it everywhere. Put it on your forehead. Put it every place. So those were two chunks of my day today that... Wasn't even th- I wasn't even thinking about then 
There's an entire email chain, as there should be a w wonderful lighting desi designer, Paul Navenberg, and my stage manager, really terrific, Sarah Tutton, uh, who I've worked with before, but I've never had a stage manager before. You, you can't even believe how fascinating that is to me. I've never had one before. God, I love it. And they are dealing with the lighting in the space. The, this space is going to be in a sanctuary, which is a very nice space, and it's working out. But once I got there and looked at the staging and looked at the fact that it was going to be at night and looked at the on and off switches for the church, I realized that people were not going to be able to see the performers' faces mm. and there are some stairs that they need to use. Mm -hmm. And I'm very concerned about that as well because some of it's choreography and right. they're not you know, gingerly going up and down those steps. So then I had to get hold of my lighting designer. Okay, you know, we need this. So an email chain between the lighting designer, the stage manager, the person at the church who they have their own dance troupe. It's an amazing church, Ebenezer Lutheran Church. Oh, that's just down the street from us. Really? They're oh, yeah. incredible. It's right here. It's amazing. They Their outreach to the community is the sort of thing that a lot of churches will say that they do. No, they do it. Everybody's yeah. at that church. Incredible. Uh, but their dance company then has a tie-in with um, a lighting company and they leave these lights up just and they because they light everything that happens at the church mm -hmm. so you can go in and rent their equipment as long as you set it back up but you can't always get to that equipment because some of it's locked so I had to go through this entire email chain not because thank God I'm actually doing any of it because I'm not, mm -hmm. which is fabulous. But I sort of had to know when they were going to actually be at the church and with who right. and how they were going to get in because I'm the one who's got the key right? and I may not be in town. Oh, yeah. So that email, that stacked email, horrible stacked email chain, that took me 20 minutes to figure out that they're going to meet on Saturday mm. and someone will let them in. Hmm. But I had to know that. So, I mean, it, sound, it sounds really silly, but that was a hunk of my day today. Um, I spent about five minutes with the score to Cox and Box. About five minutes. I had to tweak a couple of things on the, the transgressive uh, website. Somebody let me know. We forgot to link me to my website here, so I took care of that. Somebody else said, is this really the language you want there? And this is my singers. You know, singers, I don't know if you know this, but singers have opinions. <laughs> what? <laughs> and it's shocking. That's yeah. so weird. <laughs> I know. That's so... Usually, they, I thought they just hummed in the corner, but no, they actually talk. And they, they talk at length. It's, they never breathe when they're talking. So, you know, I got an email saying, I'm sure the wording here is what you want, which initially can sort of be... You know, I'm not a perfect person. I thought, really? Hmm, well, who are you? Why don't you fix it? And then, <laughs> and then I thought, no, this is a very valid point. I need to look at that. So that was 10, 15 minutes that mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting to spend at all today. So production, it just takes yeah. it from you, you know? <laughs> like, yep. I, yeah. Um, I'm uh, interested in, so I know uh, facts about you. Um, uh oh. Well, you're a, you're Midwest folk, like folk. Is that is that how you say that? Is that a thing? It is not how you say that. So <laughs> tangent, tangent, tangent. I'll I'll get through it. But the, the first thing I'm going to say is we had a um, we had folks on the show who re pointed out to us uh, talking about the gender and talking about pronouns conversation that we say you guys a lot. So Maureen now and I over the last few months we've implemented you all y'all you all and folks. And so I'm still figuring out the finer details. 
so that anyway that's tangent one second tangent um yeah so you maureen is also from wisconsin and Mm -hmm. um i moved to chicago four years ago um and so in that entire process of kind of getting acquainted with the midwest it's always been super interesting to me hearing about uh you know making art in the midwest because the midwest has such a you know, you spoke to it in in the idea of Chicago's grittiness and that kind of realness factor. But it, I think that has a carryover in a weird way to the rural parts of the Midwest and, and to, you know, the, the hardworking nature of the people that are from here. Um, I'm kind of curious uh, what, you know, what, how that, if that is a thing that you think about in your uh, production and, and your work. Something that I'm starting to think about with great vigor, um, and some of that comes out of my own personal experience as I examine, oh my God, all the stuff that is built into my DNA uh, in terms of the way I interact with people, and wow, trying to change that, insane. My mother's from Kentucky, my father's from West Virginia, Mm -hmm. and they moved north to Detroit because they tried to get out of the coal mines very very uh, forward thinking of them both, but also building a life out of uh, the lower, really lower class and poor, you, right. know, you know, eating your potatoes that you grow uh, to a middle class, searching for a middle class existence for yeah. their children. But part of that was everything was gendered. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal that no other women in my mother's family graduated from high school but her was a big deal that she got on a bus and went to Detroit as a woman. Mm -hmm. It was a big deal that she wasn't the prettiest girl in her family, which she was constantly reminded of, but she actually made what they mostly considered the most advantageous marriage with a really good looking man who made a lot of money. So, but there was that whole thing of, you did this and you're a woman, yay. It wasn't, she was a person. And some of that was completely fair. I mean, yes, because you do look at the situation. I mean, this is like the reviewing thing. Got ties into that. You look at the situation. The situation is she won from over all of these obstacles. And one of them was her sex. Hmm. Now, come, what comes along with that is how you speak if you're Southern at all. And we're not, you know, we're not from Alabama. Some people say we're Midwest. And I say, I don't know, Kentucky seems pretty South to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, everybody's sir or ma'am or miss. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. It's, uh, yeah. so it's, it's built into me. And when I'm meeting people who I do not, do not know, which, you know, I'm waiting tables a good bit of the time now, I always say, sir and ma'am, several times, you know, people blessedly are beginning to accept, obviously, even to someone who's wondering where the gravy is right now, an outward sign that they feel their gender is fluid. Mm -hmm. And several times this summer, I have been tripped up because people are seated and I'm above their head. And they've got a hot hairstyle that tells me they're male or they're female. And when they speak and turn around and show me their face, I realize that I can't make that call. That's not a call I have any business making. 
Wow, yeah. So given that dynamic in my personal life, I'm so interested in exploring artistically how we can look at that. And I think we're just starting to do that. There's a production right now that one of the smaller companies is doing where there's a, a, a character who is transsexual. And, uh, and my goodness, I think it's Chicago Fringe. It's Fringe, yeah, as yeah, one. Yeah, as one. Right, so very interested in that. Some of that is we need, we need our composers and our librettists to write about it. But yeah. in the meantime, we can look at what we're doing and look at it through that. I can I can really the 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 service industry aspect of that resonates very deeply with me because whenever I've been a barista for eighteen years now, eighteen years since I was eighteen, so ten years, um, <laughs> eighteen years, yeah, I'm I'm forty, y'all, um, but I'm um, but. I'm so used to greeting people who come in saying, hey guys, because it's a casual atmosphere. But, and I caught myself saying that so often since being corrected on this show. And so it, it's been, and I hear it all the time with my coworkers. And like, you know, do I want to be that person at work, like correcting my coworkers on their gendered language? Like, is that, but. Uh, it's it's an interesting it, it's an interesting obstacle being an artist who is sensitive to that perspective who is working in an industry where that language is so deeply embedded mm-hmm. i'm uh i this is one of the reasons for my um cozy this year which is known as all women are like that. You know, yeah. the subtext right. is women can be made unfaithful if they're just properly courted. Well, hmm. I really, I, I love the opera and it was one of the things, my second favorite opera, one of the things I always wanted to direct. But I have to look at it through a, a current lens. So, two things that I'm doing. First of all, there's a lot of artifice built around uh, the game of flirtation mm-hmm. and uh, how you and the, and the power of flirtation who has the power in the room at which time due to what uh, looks uh, vivacity um, wit who has the power I don't believe that there's any reason why that piece has to presented, be presented as women are like that I think it can be presented as all people are like that Mm. So that's that's the gist of what I'm going for. Also from uh, more highly thought of what's operatic style, lots of fancy arms and, and beating of the chest, moving toward um, at the end as people, as the characters begin to start to understand the real world, as they come out of their concept of um, this this thing that's not real, that people people are people and you can hurt each other. And that's not okay. Uh, having them starting, as soon as they realize what they're doing and what's really happening, their moment of realization starting to speak. And cutting the arias down and having you know the second half of an aria spoken mm. so that that's real. The two characters who know this already, Despina and Don Alfonso, whenever they're alone or together, they will speak through the entire piece. This whole conceit is that the men, to prove that they have conquered each other's intended, get her to give them her locket. 
which is a picture of the other man. Everybody gets lockets in this play. And the lockets exchange for everybody. Because if these men have spent so much time with these women, courting them so vigorously, and well enough that the women agree, agree to make a change in their affections. Yeah. I don't believe that the men don't go there too. That's super interesting and something that I've never, that has never occurred to me that like, flirting is a two-way street. Mm-hmm. It's like, and obviously in real life, it, I, it had occurred to me that flirting is a two-way street. But yeah, the fact that in that opera, it's like, oh, these, like, the, the, the suggestion, the implication is that the entire time, the men are completely emotionless. Like, there's just like a wall because they're, because they're being tricky. But I mean, yeah, obviously they would feel something too, because at the end of the opera, well, here's actually my question for you. So in a traditional staging, it's, it's left ambiguous as to whether, um, they go back to their original coupling or if they um, stay switched. What is your preferred interpretation? I don't know yet. You don't know yet? Because I don't know what's going to happen when they start talking. I have some amazing people cast and some of them I have worked with before and trust very much. Mm-hmm. And there are things where I should that I shouldn't know yet. And that's one of them. What's going to yeah. happen? Once you start talking to each other, when, once it's absolutely real and you're all in the room, what's it going to be? That's a very devised work way of thinking about it. And I really like that. It's scary. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Bring the meaning like bringing folks into a room and then figuring out what the, what, how it will go, you know, um, is super cool. Is it me. ultimately, are you going to ultimately leave it to the performers to see who goes with whom at the end, or are it, or are you going to be the decision maker? Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens at the, the finale. I want to go back to singing, right? And I want it to come back up at the end of the up at the end of the piece, and to allow the artifice, what I'm going to call from the beginning, to to attempt to blend it to the reality. But I have to see how that's going to happen. Once. Once I see what it's going to, what, how it reads, I may have to say, this is really what I'm seeing you do as a group, mm-hmm. not as individuals. I may, they may do something that absolutely works, and they may do two or three different things, two or three different rehearsals, and I say, yeah, see you at the curtain call, find out what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I actually, can we talk about Maligned Mensa real quick? Sure. Okay. The what? reason why I ask is because, well, what I'm interested in about it, that specifically, not... Um, any specifics about it, but <laughs> what I'm interested in is, uh, to me, that really pointed out to me something that uh, is an interesting facet of your curatorial mind, which is that for you, you you think about the balance of representation and the balance of how we view things, and the way that I think that really came out from that was the way that you trailed the you told the story of of characterization of mezzos throughout 300 years of, of opera making um, and so I'm curious for you uh, what is it and, and maybe there's uh, that's my paraphrasing of, of that kind of facet of, of thinking of, of curating of programming and things like that but um, 
I'm curious for you what uh, what is the what is the driving force behind the weighing of the underrepresented, let's say. I try to pay attention to what people tell me, mm. especially if they don't know they're telling me something. Uh, and as I was choosing a season and as, as I was looking at what I wanted to do, I immediately began to hear from my mezzo friends, why do you never have a part for me? I don't understand it. We've worked together. I know we adore each other. Why aren't you programming anything for me? Mm -hmm. Which caused me to sit down and think, what's out there that I really want to do that's got a part for you? And then that caused me to go further into thought about, how has this ever happened? Why am I here? Yeah. Why, why are there not parts for mezzos? <laughs> right. What's going on? Yeah. You know, why are you just, you know, the, the third strumpet from the left? And then I then it came to me that I could actually curate this arc where I could try to show that it wasn't just me, that I wasn't just in a horrible way, not giving mezzos any part, mm-hmm. but that I but that the literature wasn't there. It's getting better. But in the beginning, it just wasn't there. And we still have most of the big showy parts are for the high voices. You know, we want to mm-hmm. hear we want to hear that stuff above the staff. And uh, I think that needs to change. Mm. But it, it allowed me to, I hope, make a statement and ask a question without being without beating anybody over the head. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, I thought that, um, that, (laughs) sorry, I'm like balancing so many different thoughts in my head right now. The thing that I was going to say is that I do think it accomplished it. The thing that's also super interesting to me is that, um, you know, it's, it's the, the thing that I think about a lot, which is trying to think how to take the, uh, thoughtful, amazing, artistic work that's happening in Chicago every season every month, almost every day, um, and get it to a place that maybe isn't like, we'll get it to the thing that I always, the way I always word it is the idea of it being on a national scale. But I don't know that I necessarily mean that it needs to like, we need to have like a TV channel for Chicago art or, you know, the, but, um, but that Chicago's not seen as a stepping stone; that it's seen as seen as like an artistic end game. Is that what you're? Maybe I, I just I guess there is questions that are being asked in Chicago that I think apply very really re, very realistically to uh, I mean opera at large, and you know you have major opera companies that. Uh, that won't go that direction. You know, there is something about the underdog quality of of Chicago, the um, fact that we, that so many underrepresented folks end up finding a voice here. Um, I don't know. And balancing that against the idea of, does, if, if we get Chicago on a national scale, does that, do we lose that? Do we lose the, like, kind of like testing ground yeah like the trying the folks trying to find a voice and a platform space i don't know i i'm and i'm super not sure what 
how this is turning into a question for you, but... Well, thank you. I, <laughs> l- let me answer this beautifully clothed question. Uh, I, I am watching uh, the storefront opera scene. I'm the one that coined that. I borrowed it from the storefront theater scene. I just want credit. I only want credit where credit's due. Trademark on the show. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Word of mouth trademark is the best we can do. But yeah, it, I we've understand. Got, I have yeah. smashed everyone over the head and people are actually starting to use that term. I'm very happy about it. I am looking historically. History repeats. So what happened with the storefront theater scene in Chicago that made it a national concern? Mm-hmm. It was different than what anybody else was doing. And some of it was new literature. Some of it was literature that was being actually written here. All of it was in found spaces with ensembles that were willing to sew the costume, if that's what they had to do, to get the work done. The audiences were not always huge. There wasn't a whole bunch of money. But then suddenly there was a national understanding of, oh, they're the first one to do this playwright's play because that playwright actually gave them the rights. Mm -hmm. So when we start to, and I see no reason why we won't, I mean, we already have great composers here who are doing wonderful work, Um, but there will be people eventually who will say, we want you to do it, or we want you to try it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's let's premiere it there. And that sort of thing is going to make the nation go, whoa, who are these people? That's what happened with the storefront place, with the storefront theater scene. I expect that to happen again. I'm expecting that to happen again. Slowly, there will be notice, and it will start to go on a national scale. There will begin to be more publicity that will go national. Critics from a larger web will start to come here and look at the pieces and comment upon them which will create greater interest as long as we keep our noses to the grindstone yeah. but look for those bigger opportunities i mean we have to we have to we can't expect them all to come to us we could get lucky and wouldn't that be nice woohoo mm-hmm. but we have to be looking for them and ser- searching them out yeah but i think that could absolutely happen for us and i think that's that's the key to getting to where we go and then we just have to be careful because nothing's ever stagnant. Mm-hmm. If we get to that place, then we have to either go further or we will slide. Yeah, lot to think about. Um, we're actually, we have a few minutes left. Uh, so for the last thing that we do with all of our guests is a one minute plug for everything, for everything, for anything for they have. everything. <laughs> uh, all of it in one minute, no. Um, a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Uh, sometimes it's very obvious. I'm gonna try to keep this bit short. Uh, like a show coming up uh, usually I'm sorry I'm, I'm gonna stop, I'll stop being self-referential um, so uh, otherwise it can be uh, other folks you think are doing dope work if you want to give a quick shout out or um, uh, we love hearing about like self-care stuff TV shows books and stuff that you're, that people are consuming so that too well alright well I have my notes I brought notes because you know memorizing all this stuff that's a lot yeah so i have three performances transgressive has three performances of a gilbert and sullivan jewelry box friday november 10th at 7 30 saturday november 11th at 7 30 sunday november 12th at 1 30 and these are all at ebenezer lutheran church 
1650 West Foster. Very beautiful. These will be in the sanctuary. Beautiful place. Very accessible. Lots of street parking. Very yeah. cool place. Super cool. There will be one performance, 12-9, on the University of Chicago campus uh, to sort of have that uh, tie-in with our co-producer, uh, the Gilbert and Sullivan Opera Company. That will be on 12-9 at 7.30 in Goodspeed Hall, 1010 East 59th Street. The tickets are $30, and you can purchase them through brown paper tickets. We're on Facebook, and we're on Twitter. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, can happen. <laughs> Uh, the website is transgressive theater with an re dash opera dot org, and I think that's super cool. There are so many things going on in Chicago right now that I'm not going to be able to see. It's making me sick, so everybody please go. As is, which Chicago Fringe is doing, you must go. Third Eye this weekend. Third Eye Ensemble is opening. A new piece and blood something blooded with ink. blood, blood with ink. yes mm-hmm. incredible performers very you know definitely addressing minority concerns brand new work or something that's been done very little before the director is amazing amazing you must go a uh, Chicago Opera Theater is preparing is is going to do the console mm-hmm. oh my God so, and with Patricia Reset I can't go to, I can't see it go. Go see that. Go see it. And let's see, in February, my cozy's in February. You must go see it. How much longer do I have? You can take as much time as you want, honestly. All right. The singers (laughs) that I have in this um, Gilbert and Sullivan jewelry box, not to be believed. I've written them down, so I'm going to give you their names really quick. Sarah Jenks is a brilliant music director. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Lovely personality. Just, she just had a second gorgeous baby. That's got nothing to do with anything except, <laughs> God, her babies are incredible. Her husband is, pl- is going to sing one of the roles, Brad Jenks, which is lovely. We have Tierra Burge, Celeste Peak, Jesus Alfredo Jimenez Jimenez. I'm always afraid that I will say his name wrong, and that's just stupid. I should be better. Zico Shaker, Paul W. Thompson, Claire DeVizio, Daniel Grambau, Jonathan Wilson, Catherine Bruton, Angela Bourne, Dennis Collip, Sarah Wasserman, Samantha Farmalant, Katarina A. Bacchus, Benjamin Ricci, and Ian McGuffin. And I just don't know how you can get a lineup like that. Yeah, you which, just ran the gambit there. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> what, I, I handed out cupcakes. I mean, I did whatever I had to do. But I'm so excited because they're seeing these scenes and... Um, I, I love when they write to me and say, gosh, you're right, this really fits in my voice. That makes me feel like I'm, you know, actually got something going on. Go to see all these things that are happening in Chicago. Of course, come to see mine first. But <laughs> they make that your first priority. But uh, oh, so much gorgeous work. Mm-hmm. So, and, and of course, there's lyric. You have to go see the Wagner. There's only a few performances. Mm-hmm. You have to get ready to eventually be able to see the whole ring. So mm-hmm. go and see that. You know, it's not storefront opera, but go and see it. It will be amazing. Support art at every level. Thank For you. For sure. Yes, absolutely. Which is part of the struggle. I mean, how much money mm-hmm. do you have if you buy the Duvacure ticket? Mm-hmm. Can you afford to buy, you know? But buy them. We figured out. Sell yeah. something. Put it out on eBay. Give up a lung. <laughs> yeah, you only need one. Right, really. <laughs> Same thing with kidneys. Yeah. Really, if you have two lungs, you're being greedy. Is the yeah. thing, yeah, it's just wrong. Right. Um, <laughs> cool. 
Uh, Alright, well thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways that you can do that. You can head over to scopymag.com. That is our website. We just restructured it quite a bit. Um, We are launching uh, our affiliate program. Maureen will tell you more about that, but I'm super excited about it as I talk about the website because uh, the homepage of the website is starting to become a place to be. We've got a couple of videos up there. We'll be posting up our most recent videos. All of our, our recent articles will be up there. All of our, we have a, a widget in there now. A really gorgeous thing that Radio Public just came out with a few months ago for podcasts. An actual embeddable podcast player for your website. So that was super exciting for us to learn about. And so we've got that up on our site now. So do check that out. Scopymag.com. Uh, otherwise, we are on all of the social media places. On Facebook, we are listed under Scopy Magazine. On Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Play, and iTunes Podcasts, we are under Scopy Mag. And we spell that S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. If you're in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com, head to our About section. Uh, If you are in a position to give, there are a couple different ways that you can do that. Uh, You can give on a one-time basis. If you choose to do that, you will have our eternal gratitude. If you choose to give on a monthly level, some cool things will happen. First of all, our next two donors at every at any level will receive a free bag of half-wit coffee. At $10 a month, you'll receive a free session per month of studio photography with Daniel in our space. And at $25 a month or above, you'll be a part of our affiliate program. We're grateful to our donors at every level, but our affiliates are individuals, businesses, and organizations who support our mission of uplifting local arts and independent media at a higher level. We believe that such generosity during this time deserves recognition, so our affiliates will be featured on our website with a link to their website or social media as a means of advertisement, and will receive a Scopy affiliate window sticker. So, give a little. Give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.